What's going on, everybody? This is Pastor Josh, and you are listening to another episode of the Preach That Podcast. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode, or I guess welcome to or welcome back. Well, if you've watched other episodes, welcome back. If you've never watched an episode, welcome to the Preach That Podcast. Normally, at this point, I would announce the episode number, but I don't know what episode number this will be. Um, I am filming this in expectation that this will be episode 20, but if things change, plans change, and uh, if my schedule gets rearranged a little bit and I'm able to get a guest for episode 20, then this will not be episode 20. But I don't know what this evening and tomorrow exactly will hold, so I am expecting this will be episode 20 that will come out on Monday, March 27th, 2023. Anyways... I always overshare. I always go into all of the boring details that most people probably don't care about. But again, I love the behind the scenes information on other podcasts, other shows that I like to watch. So I always share with you guys. So if you enjoy it, awesome. If not, sorry, I'd I'd probably skip over the first two minutes of every episode if you do not care for that information. But I am excited for to share this. I'm not going to talk for very long on this intro because this message or this episode will be a message that I shared at our church a few weeks back. Um, I had a great lineup of guests. I was able to have my wife on, and then I was able to have Brandon on. Shout out to Allie and Brandon both. And so this uh, message I kind of just kept in, you know, in the back pocket for a time where I wasn't able to have a guest. So that very well could be this week. So with that being said, the message title was A Line in the Sand. And this is one, it's weird for me because... I'm not usually, and in many cases, I'm not like the, I'm not the point out issues or call out problems or announce that this is what's wrong with a particular thing or place or group of people. But for whatever reason, and I believe it's because of the season that we're in as the church, God has really had me just in a place focused first for myself correction and rebuke and direction for myself and then for the church. I say it every time, and I think I even say it in this message, that I never preach a message to our church that was not preached to me by the Holy Spirit first. There is always something as I prepare a message that I learn, that I'm reminded of, um, that God just kind of refreshes in my spirit Um, maybe a a particular issue that I see in either our church or the church, capital C church, the global church, the body of Christ. Um, But it always comes back to me, and I always have to check myself to make sure that whatever I'm preaching about, that I I may not have a full grasp or control over it or a firm grip on it in my own life, but I need to have an understanding, and I need to be able to apply it to my life first before I can preach it. It's one of the reasons that I really enjoy having a couple weeks in between messages that I deliver. I would love to preach every single week, and I know that as I got into that sweet spot, into that groove, and the Lord would lead me, I know that I could preach every week um, if that were ever something that God had called me to. But in this season, I really do enjoy preaching every third week, or occasionally it's every other, depending on how the schedule gets put together, uh, because that gives me time to just spend as much time with the with the Lord as possible, and then in these kinds of situations, to really evaluate my heart and my own life, 
and my own relationship with Christ so that I can make sure that I am practice what I'm preaching, <laughs> that I can walk the walk before I talk the talk on a Sunday morning and share with our church. So kind of a little bit of a, a backstory, back, uh, kind of some behind-the-scenes information as far as the preparation goes. It's really cool, and I even put it in my notes that I did not want to forget. Um, if you see me looking over here and scrolling a little bit, I've got my sermon notes up here to remind myself I want to, if I missed anything or skipped over anything in my notes that I wanted to get in there and share as well. Um, some of the last, it's crazy what God's doing at our church. It's so awesome what he is doing at our church because if you go back over some, several of the recent, the last four or five or so sermons that have been preached here by all three of our pastors here, it's incredible. Be prepared and stay prepared. Those are both sermons that I had preached. A call to action, a time for war, and then my message, a line in the sand. And uh, if I can remember, I will put a link in the description to this video to our church's YouTube channel so that you can go if you're ever interested in watching those. I know that Be Prepared and Stay Prepared have been shared as episodes on this channel, uh, and I will try to pull that up so that I can share with you what episode numbers those were. Let's see. It's been a little while back. Do, do, do. So Stay Prepared is episode 16. Let me get this here so I can go back further. Uh, doo -doo -doo -doo. Be prepared was episode 14. So episode 14 and 16 of the Preach That podcast. You can find those right here on my channel if you want to go back and listen to those messages if you have not already. And then a call to action and a time for war are both on our church's YouTube channel. There's something floating around in here. Anyways, that is... Jonathan Creek Christian Church. You can look that up on YouTube. Um, and it, like I said, I will do my best to remember to put a link to that channel or a link to those. Maybe I'll just put a link to those videos so that way you're not, you can take all the guesswork out of it. You can find it immediately. Um, so if you're listening to this on Apple or Spotify, jump over to YouTube if you want to hear these messages, um, which actually you can find, I need to get caught up on our uh podcasting for the church, um, but you can actually, if you look up Jonathan Creek Christian Church on Apple or Spotify, these messages will be, as of right now, they're not, but they will be very soon on there so you can listen to them as well. So I will do my best to put links to everything in here for everybody uh, that was is curious to go back and kind of listen to those. Um, if you go to our church's YouTube, they'll be like in order that they were preached, so it might make a little more sense for everybody, um, but those messages, awesome. I love it. It's so cool what God's doing here. Um, it's amazing just how he's putting everything together. And we don't talk about what we're going to preach. We don't sit down and say, hey, you know, we're going to do this series and I want you to preach on this one. We don't communicate. We communicate with the Holy Spirit about what we're going to preach. That's it. And that's how it should be, in my opinion. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with doing a series. I know there are churches out there that have multiple campuses that that different pastors preach the same series and they you know write it their own way with the Holy Spirit and do their own thing. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. I'm just saying that I don't think that anybody should say, I need you to preach on this. The Holy Spirit, the Lord should say, I need you to preach on this. That's my opinion. Take it for what it's worth. Anyways, I know there was something else here in my notes that I wanted to share. Where is it? Oh, so the kind of the premise of this message, and I say it in the message, but at the bottom line, I want you to think about this as you're listening. Two words, 
the 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 big takeaway from this entire message are, is two words: stop compromising. Now, what do I mean by stop compromising? Stop living one way on Sunday morning and another way throughout the week, which is I I think that's uh, sort of along the lines of where the Lord's leading me for my next message here in a couple weeks on April second. But stop. We need to stop saying one thing and doing another. We need to be men of our word. Let our, as the scripture says, let our yes be yes, let our no be no. Uh, we need to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word, not because doing saves us, but we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ. But we need to be doers of the word. That the, the fruit in our lives is the evidence of, to the change that has happened in our hearts, that the miraculous transformation, that the old creation is gone, the new creation has come, the, that regenerating work that the Holy Spirit does when we accept him into our lives, that is what takes place. But the fruits of our lives, the actions of our lives are what show that to others. That is what communicates the gospel to others without us saying it. I say it all the time, to preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. So our actions, the way that we live matters as followers of Christ. Don't ever forget that. So, but one of the things that, that I that I shared in my notes here is that we can be loving and set boundaries at the same time. You don't have to let people walk all over you and refuse to put up boundaries because you think that's being loving. In fact, setting boundaries and putting up, drawing a line in the sand and, and setting and standing up for yourself and, and advocating for yourself or your family or your children is one of the most loving things that you can do for yourself, the people that you're setting boundaries and advocating for, and also the people that you are setting the boundaries up in front of. Because it's not fair to someone else to just allow them to think, oh, well, Christians, can I just do what I want? Or that they follow Jesus, so they're just going to let me walk all over them and, be, and they're just going to be nice to me all the time. We should be loving all the time, but sometimes to the world, loving isn't nice. Now, we know that it is nice to be loving to our brothers and sisters, to the people of the world, but the world is not always going to perceive our love as being nice. We just talked about that in men's group last night, actually, how uh, it was somebody, my dad posed the question of, have we done a really bad job at sharing the love of Christ in the world, or does the world just not understand the love of Christ? And I was like, well, actually, it's both. Because we know that there's a lot of crappy Christians over the course of history that have done bad things, terrible things, horrible things, but that doesn't negate the truth of the love of Christ that is in Scripture. Just because I share that, say this all the time, if there are bad firemen in the world if your house, house catches on fire, are you not going to call the fire department because there have been bad firemen over the course of history? No, you're going to call the fire department. Same thing with the police. If you're getting your house is getting robbed, are you going to not call the cops because there have been bad police officers that have done terrible things? No, you're going to call 911. That's just how it is. Just because bad people have done things in the name of Christ does not mean that Jesus isn't loving. It doesn't mean that I'm not loving because I'm a Christian. It doesn't mean that I'm a bigot or a homophobe or a whatever because I'm a Christian. It means that that person did something wrong. End of story. We've got to stop lumping everybody into a group just because somebody from their group did something bad at one time or another. I, I would renounce and reject my own family if that were the case because people in my family and in the course of history in my family tree have done bad things. I've done bad things. Am I going to just reject myself? No. Am I going to reject my family? No. I'm going to love my family. 
So a little bit of a tangent, a little bit of a rant there, but I'm very passionate about it. One of my biggest pet peeves, one of my biggest pet peeves of all time is crappy Christians because they are taking the love of Christ and twisting it and ruining it for everybody. Uh, the episode that I did with my wife, episode 18, I want to say. Uh, I just skipped a fast step. Um, what episode was that? Episode 17. Episode 17 that I did uh, with my wife, which was awesome. Um, I've I've gotten probably the most requests to have her back on the podcast that I've done, had any requests just in general for the podcast for anything. Uh, so she's going to be coming on again very, very soon. Um, potentially this weekend that I would then use for episode 20, hence why I was talking about it. I don't know if this will be 20 or not. But one of the things that we talked about that she brought up that was so powerful is that so often church hurt happens outside of the church. People get church hurt before they even step foot in your church or a church because somebody in your church did something dumb or did something stupid or did something bad and it offended someone else and it, it put a uh, your church's name in the community as a bad reputation so people won't come to your church because you offended them by attending this church or that church or whatever church. And so it can also happen as, as Christians and we are ambassadors for Christ, we wear his name on us everywhere we go, and if we act poorly, if we do stupid things, if we do horrible things, then people will associate Christ with those bad things and horrible things instead of separating it down and keeping everything as its own person, as its own entity, as its own situation. So people see Christians do bad things like, oh, Christians are bad. No, that Christian did something bad. We need to start isolating these things down to their own situations more often instead of just lumping everything in as the, a huge issue, as a huge deal, uh, as different as problems as a, as a whole group instead of that one isolated situation. So I will try to stop ranting about that now, but it bothers me, guys. It bothers me. It gets under my skin that people dislike Jesus because of a human being that got in the way of the love of Christ that was trying that God was trying to get to that person. It, it drives me up the wall. So I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm sick and tired of that. We need to do better. My whole desk is shaking because I'm getting I'm getting passionate. I'm getting all excited over here. We got to do better. Draw a line in the sand and say, I'm done compromising. I'm done being living a double-minded life. I'm done being a two-faced Christian. I'm going to be the same person at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning when I walk into church. Get here before 10 if it's, you know, service starts at 10. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But when I, on Sunday morning when I'm here, I'm going to be the same person on Wednesday afternoon when I'm on, I'm on my home from work and I'm frustrated and tired and getting gas at the gas station and somebody cuts me off and takes the pump that I'm trying to get to or whatever the situation is that is going to come up in your life. We need to be the same person in and out of church, in and out of Bible study, in and out of small group, in and out of every area of our life. We're not perfect. Uh, we are human beings. Our minds get affected by our circumstances, by our emotions, everything going on in our life, but we need to learn self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit. So if you have the Spirit in you, you should be exemplifying some sort of self-control. We all have things we need to work on. We all have things, areas we need to get better. But let that be a focus for the church in this season is demonstrating that fruit of the Spirit more so than we have in the past and demonstrating self-control. Um, as we go through here, oh, I'm not on the screen over here. Here we go. But um, 
trying to scroll through my notes here and see if there's anything else that I want to want to touch on a little bit here. And there's one thing that I hope doesn't get misconstrued in this message. I think I explained it well, but if not, I'll try my best to do it now. I talk about in this message that the gospel is more than Jesus loves you. And I say, whoa, John 3.16, man, God's love the world. Yes, the love of God is an aspect of it. But the gospel isn't Jesus loves you. The gospel is that Jesus loves you so much that he came and hung on the cross and shed his blood for you so that if you repent of your sin, and there's two, I'm not going to try and get into it right now. I will, I need to get Pastor Tim on here and, and I will, that's one of the questions I will ask him to explain that. There are two meanings of the Greek word for repent. One of them is to turn, have a change of mind and turn from sin. And that is the repentance that we do when we accept Christ. And then the other repentance is a, a godly sorrow that we, when we say we, you, you repent, man, I'm getting all tongue tied. Sorry. <laughs> when you repent of your sins after you are saved, it's not saying I need to repent so I can get saved again or be right with God again. It's I have godly sorrow. I, I am I am sorrowful. I have remorse for the things that I have done. It's coming to God with sorrow and repentance and and hopefully this makes sense what I'm trying to say. But the gospel is more than Jesus loves you. First Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 4, that is the gospel. Okay, that is the, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, there's gonna be a cut here. I'm gonna grab my Bible if I remember to cut it. I'm gonna grab my Bible and read it to you. I know, I know, I should have been prepared to have my Bible handy before now. Sue me. I'm just kidding. First Corinthians chapter 15, one through four. Now, brothers, and, and I just did a short on this, but I'm going to read it anyways. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word that I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Here we go. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. That is the gospel, folks. The Christ crucified, Christ resurrected for the remission of your sins. That is the gospel. And yes, it has to do, and he did it because he loves us. But we've got to make sure that we get the whole gospel in there so we're not misleading people and we're not leading them in a prayer that means nothing, that has no, nothing to do with their salvation, that's going to give them a false sense of security. We need to make sure that we give the whole gospel to people when we evangelize, when we share that love with them, when we share that truth with them. So with that being said, I've already talked way longer than I thought I was going to, so I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, thank you guys so much again for tuning in, for listening, for watching, whatever it is. Please share this on social media uh, if you find this enjoyable. Also, keep an eye out. Um, I'm going to start posting some clips from the sermons. And right now I post clips that are 60 seconds. So that way it can be a YouTube short or a Facebook or Instagram reel. And then I post them on TikTok as well. And I'll try to remember to somewhere down here, put all of my social medias. If you'd like to follow along, I'll put a link uh, in the description that will help you with all of those uh, to find all of those social medias if you'd like to follow there. So I will be doing more clips instead of just the shorts. It'll be a clip. It'll be a three minute, five minute, eight minute, 10 minute, 12 minute, whatever, a shorter 
clip uh, from an episode. Um, I know there are multiple clips from the episode with my wife that I want to put up there. I know there are multiple clips uh, from the episode, various episodes I've done with Brother James and with Brandon I'm going to want to get up there. So I'm going to try to be working on that so that way I can be posting more uh, intermediate length videos here on YouTube. And that'll just be a YouTube and uh, social media thing. I'll be posting those on Instagram and Facebook as well. Um, and I think TikTok just changed where you can post up to 10 minutes. So I'll be posting a lot of these, but it will not be on the audio platforms. That will still just be the weekly episodes on Monday morning at 6 a.m. on audio, 7 a.m. on YouTube. So with that being said, thank you guys so much. Your liking and commenting and subscribing and all of your support is incredible. I'm still... I'm blown away every single day by the amount of people that have come on board to subscribe, to follow along, to, that are liking and commenting and interacting with all of these things. I've been had so many opportunities to share the truth with people. People, I love it when people come in and ask me questions. Guys, if you have questions on anything that I say or anything Bible-related, please ask me. I'm not saying that because I'm a Bible expert and because I know everything. I'm saying it because I love interacting and communicating and conversing with people about the scripture, about the Lord. If I don't know the answer to your question, I will figure it out with you, okay? I have some very wise and well-educated scripturally uh, folks in my life. I, there are great resources that I can point you to online as well. I just want to grow in Christ with you and just grow closer to the Lord with you at the same time while I do this. I don't do this because I've got it figured out. I don't do this because I have all of the answers. I do this because I love Jesus and I want others to love him too. I want others to know him better, to know more, to be encouraged and motivated to go deeper with him. That's why we do this. So thank you guys so much for watching, listening, whatever you do, any way that you support this. I appreciate you so much. And here is episode maybe 20, maybe a different one. The next episode, the most recent episode as you're listening to it of the Preach That podcast. Thank you so much, guys. God bless you. And I will see you next time. I want to start with a word of prayer before we get into the message this morning. Father, we just, we thank you again, Lord. We come before you humbly and boldly, Lord. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for this morning. That We thank you for this moment, this opportunity to be in your word. Father, I bind all, all spirits that would try to distract us right now in Jesus' name. The spirit of fear or anxiety or depression, Father. The spirit of anger or frustration, Lord. The spirit of lust, the spirit of greed. I bind all of these spirits in Jesus' name and declare they are null and void and have no authority in this place, that they must flee by the mighty name of Jesus. Father, I just ask that you would just empty me of myself, Lord, crucify my flesh, and may your spirit rise up, that only the words that you would have spoken today be heard, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I, uh, so a little backstory about why there's not a normal sermon title slide up there. That during the first service, what if for whatever reason, which we know the reason, Satan wants to distract us, which is why we're taking authority over it, the screen just like flashed on and off the whole time. It would come on for three seconds and then go off for five seconds, come on for four seconds and go off for two, and it just kept going back and forth. So we just put some generic stuff up there. So it's a little frustrating because I like putting in the work to do the extra stuff. But I mean, what better could you have up on the screen besides the name of Jesus anyways, amen? So the title of this message this morning is called A Line in the Sand. And I really, really, really wanted to go. And I, I pleaded with the Holy Spirit for days to let me use John chapter 8 as the, the illustration for this sermon. 
Jesus literally knelt down and wrote in the sand. He practically drew a line. I'm like, Lord, this is perfect. He's like, how do you know what perfection is? He's like, just listen to me, okay? I will give you the word that you need to preach this morning. So I may reference it uh, once or twice, but that's not the framework for the message today. We're going to go to a couple different places in scripture this morning. We're going to go to Luke chapter 14 and Matthew chapter 10. So if you are like to turn your Bibles, I, I established already this morning as well. I hope nobody is in love with that table over there with the red cloth on it because I'm going to take the red cloth off, off of it, paint it and make it look nice. I'm going to bring it up here so I can set my Bible on it whenever I'm preaching because I, I, I need space. Even when I work on my computer, I have two screens because one screen's not enough. I need space to spread it out and organize it. Jake knows what I'm talking about. So I, I like to have space, and so I don't want to get my Bible up and down and stuff like that, but I felt led for uh, quite a while now. The, script, the words that I read off the paper that I type are the same words that are in Scripture, but there's just something about the physical Word of God, just holding it in your hand and turning the pages and reading it. There's nothing special about this particular chunk of leather with paper in between it, but there's something about holding the Word of God in your hand, the entirety of the Word of God all at once. There's something special about that. So I, uh, I felt led to do that for a while and I haven't done it, but it's up here with us now. I've got it open to the last verse that we're going to read. I, I would read out of it also, but it's the wrong translation. I didn't bring the translation I'm preaching from today is different than this one. So I don't want to confuse anybody with the words are on the screen being different, but those are the Luke chapter 14, Matthew chapter 10 are going to be the first two main sections that we read. But I want to give you a little backstory on where the phrase a line in the sand came from, because I was really curious and I mean, the Lord gave me the title for this message. So we preach every, I preach every third week. We're on a normal rotation, except for whenever I'm difficult and make things. But Pastor Tim was difficult this time. He had to switch it around this time. But so every third week and like a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, God gave me the title for this message. And so as I was preparing it, I was like, where did that even come from? I want to know. And it's a really powerful story of what is believed to be the origin of that phrase. And it's believed that when Antiochus or Antiochus, however you want to say his name, I don't care how you pronounce it, I'm probably butchering it, he's dead, he doesn't care. So he went and invaded Egypt and he was met, he was leading the Syrian army and he was met by one single Roman soldier. So Egypt sent out word to, to Rome saying, will you please help us, the Syrian army is coming to attack us, will you send an army? And so they sent one dude whose name was even harder to pronounce than this guy. So they sent one person and he came up to the, this military leader, the king of Syria, and he came up to him and he took his sword and he drew a line in the sand, a circle around him. And he said that the, the Roman Senate has decided that you will flee this area or you will suffer the consequences. But before you leave that circle, you have a choice to make. And it better be the right one. And so whether, I, whether it was out of admiration for his boldness or fear because he knew that he meant what he said, he turned around and took his entire army and they left. And they went the other way. And that's believed where the origin of this phrase, a line in the sand, came from. And it's a powerful story and it opens our eyes. And whenever, whenever I say that God is telling us now that in this season it's time for the church to draw a line in the sand, it gives it a little more power, it gives it a little more reality to us to hear the origin from it in an, in an instance where it was put into practice the way that it was intended. I think it's time that we make a bold statement as the church about who we are, what we believe, and where we stand. It's time to draw a line in the sand. It's time to quit pretending. It's time to quit tiptoeing and back and forth. It is time to draw a line in the sand and stand firm. And as we keep that in mind throughout the message, I want to go to Luke chapter 14 now, verses 25 through 30, and the words should be up there and not flash on and off, hopefully. 
If not, I'm going to read it. I hear the pages turning, so we should be good to go. And there it says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man begin, began to build and was not able to finish. Now, every Bible that I have personally owned has some small subtitles for different passages of scripture. It'll give us a title for this 12 verses and then these two verses and these 18 verses. However, the title for this, if your Bible doesn't have it in there, is labeled, this section of scripture is the cost of discipleship. The cost of discipleship. And I, I love, I have come to really enjoy having discussions with atheists and non-believers and people that are angry with God and hate God. It's become a, almost a hobby of mine here recently. And this is another example of something that they want to use and say, they want to use this passage for multiple reasons. Well, the cost of discipleship. I thought you said salvation was free. Well, see, they don't understand the difference between salvation and discipleship. You don't get to open the door to discipleship until you've opened the door to salvation. And the door to salvation is free. We know that, that Jesus shed his blood so that we could accept that gift, that atonement for our sins and spend eternity with him in heaven. That salvation is free. But the last time I preached, we talked about a relationship with Christ that discipleship is gonna cost us. And that cost will look like many different things. And we'll get into it a little bit here this morning. Salvation is free, but discipleship is going to cost us. Another thing that they want to use this passage of scripture for against God and against the church is so see there's a contradiction right there. They love to say the Bible's full of contradictions. There's a few that I think have actually read the Bible and genuinely believe that, but I think most of them are just spewing whatever rhetoric they've been told by whoever, which is funny because they accuse us of spewing rhetoric into children and indoctrinating them at a young age when that's why they believe what they believe too. But they use this passage of scripture to tell us that, well, see, you claim that God is love and that Jesus loves everybody, but he just told you to hate your entire family and yourself. What kind of a loving God would tell you to hate somebody? See, people, we're guilty of it too. It's not just the other side of the aisle. When we speak out of ignorance, it gets us in trouble sometimes. They don't understand what scripture is saying. We know that Jesus does not genuinely mean to hate your father or mother? How many times does Jesus talk in parables and and tell a dramatic story to try and drive an underlying point? It's the same thing that he's doing here. He's trying to explain to us that if our love for Christ should be so great that when compared to any other love in our life, the other love looks as if we hate it. It's not that we were supposed to hate our parents. I've got a lot of family in here. I'm not supposed to hate them. But if you compare my relationship to even to my wife, next to my relationship with Christ, the, what, the, the relationship with Christ should completely outweigh every other relationship in my life combined, multiplied. That's what Jesus is trying to get across to us. It's the same concept that he uses in scripture over and over. It's the same comparison. It's not a literal hate. He's trying to get us into a mindset. The wisdom of men is foolishness to God. 
He's showing us that the things of God are, are incredible. The things of man are nothing compared to that. If we as evil men can give good gifts, how much better gifts can our God give us, our heavenly father? Our righteous acts are dirty rags in the eyes of Christ. It's not that helping orphans and widows, see, it's another, well, you're supposed to help orphans and widows, but he says that those are dirty rags. That's not the point. We are to do those things, but the point is that God is so great and so incredible. He's on such another level that even if we help the orphans and widows, compared to what he did for us, it's nothing, it's filthy rags. It's not that what we do for Christ is meaningless. It's what the, he did for us is so meaningful. It's a comparison, it's a mindset, it's a state of mind that he's trying to get us into. And I believe that that is exactly why he's calling us to draw a line in the sand today. If I were Jesus, I would be sick and tired of wimpy Christians too. We all know them and slash or have been them at some point. I've said it a million times from up here on this stage, I was a wimpy Christian for the majority of my life thus far. There have been many times in my life where I've cowered and backed down and I was afraid and I let a spirit of fear control me. But Christ is saying that now is a time for a line in the sand, the time for wimpy Christians, the time for playing church, the time for pretending and just putting on our Sunday best for an hour and a half and going home and being the same person are over. It's important now more than ever. We need to draw a line in the sand that says, no, I don't care who you are or what you've done or what degree you hold or how smart you are or how wealthy you are. I don't care what you think. I care what God says. That's the difference. Not to demean anything. Our lead pastor is extremely well-educated and well-versed in scripture. He knows so much more. But if he ever said anything that contradicted the word, I don't care what he has to say. I care what the word says. Praise God you don't do that. We also have to use discernment and, and not just go out in arrogance and say, you can't tell me anything. God will, be, will tell me everything. He will use people to teach us. That's not what I'm saying. It's the same comparison that Christ was using. Our human wisdom and knowledge and understanding of scripture is nothing compared to the scripture itself. It's nothing compared to the word of God. It's time that we draw a line in the sand and say, I will no longer compromise my values and my beliefs Right here today, I'm drawing this line that, that nothing will make me bow but the name of Christ. That is the line that we need to draw. And I want, I want to make this very clear also because saying that I don't care what you think, I don't care what you say, it doesn't matter. I'm not saying that I don't care about you. I'm saying that I don't care about your thoughts compared to the thoughts of Christ. There's a big difference. His ways are higher, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. There is a difference there. And what, what I'm trying to explain by explaining this is that we can set boundaries and still love people at the same time. We can take a stand and be firm in our faith without being rude or arrogant. We can do these things without going over the top and putting people down and making them feel less than. We can be loving and stand up for what is right at the same time. We don't have to stand up for what is right in just this ridiculous way to try and prove a point. The word of God will prove the point that we need to prove. All we have to do is share it and preach it. The reality is that we still love everyone else on the other side of the line. We're just not willing to cross it to get to them. 
The key is not crossing the line. I've heard, uh, I've heard pastors say before that they're gonna, they defend their going to bars because, well, there's people in there that need Jesus. So I'm going to go in there and I'm going to have a beer with them and, and make myself relatable. Why don't you meet them in the parking lot and talk to them before they even go in in the first place? If you know these people, why don't you go to their house and knock on their door? Why don't you invite them to church? If your mindset is so much the fact that the only way I can reach these people is to go in the world and act like them, you've already lost. Jesus didn't come into the world and act like the world. (laughs) The disciples were martyred because they didn't act like the world. Because they drew a line in the sand and stood firm on it and said, this is the truth. I'm going to share it with you. I'm going to preach it with you, but I'm not going to compromise what I believe. That's one of the biggest reasons that even some atheists and agnostic theologians and professors agree that there is some credibility to the Bible and that the resurrection is plausible because the disciples believed it so much that they were willing to die for it. And not just die, but to be murdered in brutal ways, crucified upside down, stoned to death. They were willing to draw that line and stand firm and say, this is what the Lord says. It's time that we draw a line in the sand and we say, when I evangelize and when I share the gospel with people, I'm not going to stop at Jesus loves you. While that's the foundation, and we know that for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, we know that's where it starts, but that's not where the gospel ends. It starts with Jesus loves you and it ends with so much that he came and was brutally beaten and battered and torn and hung on a cross and shed every drop of his blood so that you could accept that free gift of salvation. That you could turn from your wicked ways and put your sin behind you and walk forward in victory and in wholeness with Christ. It doesn't just stop with Jesus loves you. While true, there's so much more. We've got to stop with this, this fluffy Jesus and just try to tell everybody that he loves them so much that way and just make everybody feel good. Jesus didn't come to make us feel good. Matthew chapter 10 tells us that. Verses 34 through 39. Do not think that I have come to the world to bring peace. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. Fluffy Jesus doesn't really get down with this, I don't think. But this is the word of God. For I have come to set man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The day of casual Christianity is gone. The day of pretending and just going through the motions is over. It's time that we toe that line and stand firm. That we stand firm on what Christ says here, that he did not come to bring peace, but a sword. What does scripture say about swords? The sword of the what? The spirit. We know that God's word is, is equated to a two-edged sword. He came to bring the spirit. He came to bring the word. He came to bring himself in flesh and bring truth, whether we like it or not, whether it's comfortable or not. 
We, we become so arrogant in ourselves as a society. I'm not just talking about the church, I'm talking about the world right now, us included. Every single person that becomes so comfortable. How dare we look Christ in the eyes while he's hanging on the cross and saying, well, I'm not comfortable. I don't want to hear about your blood. That, that makes me uncomfortable. He wasn't very comfortable when it was dripping out of his body. And yet we stand and we say, I'm not comfortable with that. I can't believe that because it doesn't make sense and it doesn't, it doesn't bring me comfort. Oh, but if you just knew the truth, that one of those drops of blood that fell from his body was comfort for us. He doesn't do things our way because his ways are higher. It's time to draw a line in the sand. Either we're in or we're out. No more going back and forth. And Well, I'm in because this person came to church today, but they didn't come in, so I'm going to come over here today because I, I, I really want to be their friend. I love all my friends, but if they left me, I wouldn't care because I've still got Jesus. That's what we need to get as a body of Christ, as a church. And we're, Jesus doesn't want us to, to pick sides and draw a line to create enemies and, and to create animosity between our, between our family. Again, it's another demonstration that we should be willing to lay everything down, including our own life and our family members, to follow him. I said it last time, when scripture tells us to pick up our cross, what happened when Jesus picked his up? He died for us. And that's what he's calling us to do is die to our flesh daily and walk in his spirit. Jesus didn't tell us to draw lines to offend people, to hurt people's feelings. It's just a sad reality of the truth. I used the example in first service. If we're at a, say we're at Thanksgiving meal and, I mean, if you don't know me and it's not obvious by looking at me, I enjoy food. Thanksgiving is great. I enjoy all the delicious stuff. And my loving wife will remind me, and it's like, that might have been enough. Maybe, maybe two pieces of pie is good. And she reminds me of these things, and it's true. I don't need that. I don't need it for my health, that's for sure. But it offends me. Oh, you think I'm fat. <laughs> are, you, you're, are you judging me now? That's offensive. You hurt my feelings because you told me not to eat food in front of everybody. The truth hurts our feelings sometimes because we don't want to subscribe to the truth. We want to do our own thing. We want to live our own way. We want to walk our own path. We want to satisfy the flesh and not the spirit. And so we focus on our flesh and we say, well, I want to eat that extra plate. How dare you tell me that's wrong? And it's the same thing in the spirit when people tell us that lifestyle that you're living in, brother, is not glorifying to God. How dare you judge me? Shame on you for condemning me and my sin. And see, the enemy twists everything and he takes the, the words of truth and by the time it gets in one ear and goes through the brain and comes out the mouth, it's turned into condemnation. The truth offends because it's the truth and we don't like it because it goes against us. I've heard it said many times, if the Bible was man-made, why does it go against every man-made desire? If we wrote it, why wouldn't it say, yeah, sleep with whoever you want, that's great. Just indulge and eat anything you want. That's great. When it says everything contrary to what we want to do in our flesh, why do you think God inspired it in the first place? Because we have flesh and he needs to teach us how to walk in the spirit, not the flesh. That's the purpose. And that's the line. 
It's not a line between good and bad or right and wrong. It's a line between the world and the kingdom of God. It's a line between discipleship and fake Christianity and fake faith. It's the line between a relationship with Christ and religion and tradition and bondage. I'm sorry to disappoint if you haven't figured it out by that little bit. Jesus is not on the popular side of the line. To, to our fleshly eyes and ears and minds, he's not on the fun side of the line. So where do we go to understand how to be on the right side of the line with Christ? What does that look like? Well, if I was going to look to anywhere for some sound wisdom and advice on how to walk a life that is on the right side of the line, I think I would go to the man that was called a man after God's own heart. King David wrote in Psalm 101, I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. And we like to, we read that, and then oftentimes our earthly, fleshly minds say, well, yeah, but like that was thousands of years ago. That's not really like how we're supposed to be now. We take the words of a man after God's own heart and, and reduce them to just quotes in a book because if we actually took them for what they really were and the weight that they carried, we'd have to do something about it ourselves. We'd have to make a change in our own life. Nobody wants to go to the person that utters lies and, and tell them that you cannot continue before my eyes. They, they don't want to go to the people that practice deceit and say, you're not welcome in my home. I have a standard for living and a standard for what's going to happen in my house and you don't meet that standard so you're not welcome here. We, we don't want to use these words because they're harsh and offensive and hurtful. And yet this was David's decree to the Lord. This is David proclaiming, Lord, this is how I will carry myself because I am after your heart. Because I do want to be a man after your heart. I do want to walk in a way that is blameless like he said earlier in that passage. He says, I will ponder on what way? The way that is blameless. I will stop focusing on what? The things that are worthless. My heart, a heart, a heart will be far from me. What kind? A perverse heart. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. See, people think that if Pastor Tim or Pastor Greg or myself come up here and talk about, talk about slander or gossip or, or, or rumors being spread about an individual of the church, we, they think that we just say it because we're, we're, our, we're in our feelings and we get our feelings hurt. And it's scripture. It's in the word of God. David says 
that whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. That who is deceitful will be cast out of my house. It may be harsh to hear and Yet another thing that we don't like to hear because why would we want to hear the truth of something that we're walking in that we shouldn't be walking in? That's why a relationship with Christ is so important because we have to be able to get to a place where we can humble ourselves and accept correction and teaching and rebuking all of the things that Paul told us that the word of God was for. We have to get to a place where we can be humble enough to accept those things. Have you ever had to be corrected in the Lord? Pastor Greg, Doug, Brenda, Allie, Jake, Chelsea? Never? Jake's perfect. <laughs> I could go around the whole room and we've all needed to be corrected and we always, almost always, meet it with arrogance. We almost always meet it with self-righteousness instead of humility, because when we, when we get cast off the self-righteousness and meet it with humility, we can gain the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of God through Christ. If, if, if everything that I've said so far goes one ear and out the other, and everything that I say beyond this point, you miss it, or if you fall asleep, I want you to hear this one thing. The, the heart of the message is simple. Two words, stop compromising. Stop compromising your beliefs. Stop compromising who you allow around your children. Stop compromising who you allow to speak over your life. If someone gives you a word from the Lord and you go to scripture and it doesn't line up, don't accept that. Reject that and take it to them and say, no, this is the line right here that I'm standing on is the word of God and what you said is on the wrong side of that, so I'm not gonna accept that. But I would like to explain to you why. And you can do that in love. See, we drew a line, we stood on the truth, but we did it in love. If I come in arrogance and say, I I reject that claim over my life, that's not from God. You're a heretic. That's probably gonna start an argument and then nothing is ever gonna come of it. But when we come humbly and say, no, the the line that I have drawn in the sand is the word of God. The plumb line for my entire life is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what you just said does not align with that. Let's talk about it. It's time that we stop compromising. It's time that we stop having one foot in the world and one foot in the church and in the kingdom of God and and then wonder why everything in our life is going wrong. It's it's time that we stop trying to walk through life like this and trip and fall and, and we wonder why we struggle because we want to be half in the world because it's fun and it makes us feel good and it satisfies our flesh, but we also know deep down that we need to be in the spirit because that is where the power of life comes from. We've got to stop compromising and having one foot in and one foot out. It's time to step up. Man, I have a message specifically for you for the next 30 seconds. It's time that we man up. I'm throwing myself in that. Trust me. I've said it every time I preach that God preaches to me before I preach to you. It's time that we man up. We love the hearing that the men are the spiritual head of the household whenever it comes to discussion of the title. But when the responsibilities come up, it's like, well, you know, equality. (laughs) And we always look for a way out. Men, it's time to man up and be the head of our household. Not because women are in fear, because God has called us to it. 
because God has told us that that is the role that we should play in our home. We should be the provider, the protector, and the priest of our household. And no, provider does not just mean you make all the money either. We need to provide a household that our wife can come in with her love and gentleness and create a home. It's more than just money. Everything in this world always gets, this, this, it always gets taken back to money. Well, God told me to provide, so I'm just going to get a really good job, make lots and lots of money, and then that's my job. I see I provided for you. Did you provide love for her? Because the Bible also says to love your wife as Christ loved the church and give himself up for her. And that doesn't just mean that if a guy breaks into your house and has a gun pointed at you that you're willing to die for your wife. Christ gave himself up for the church every single day. Yeah, ouch. Christ gave himself up for the church every day. The Bible tells us that he did not come to be served, but to serve. You want to lead your house? You want to lead in your workplace? Serve those around you. Serve your wife. Serve your children. I'm not saying to, to be a servant and I'll just do all the chores so you don't have to do anything so you're nice and happy. There are many ways that we can serve those around us. We can love them. We can disciple them. Men, we should be discipling our wives and our children. Not because they're not smart enough, because we are called to spiritually lead our homes. All right, that was three minutes, not 30 seconds. But It's time that we draw a line in the sand. Jesus or the world, we gotta pick one. Heaven or hell, we gotta pick one. But when you pick heaven, because everybody's going to, if everybody just got to choose and it was just up to us, everybody would pick heaven, then we need to go back to that first passage in Luke and count the cost of the discipleship. We need to choose slavery or freedom. Follow Jesus or follow the world. There's no third option. Jesus or the world. And if you choose Jesus, I have really good news. And it's not, it's not because Jesus is going to make everything better and he's going to love it. And that's not even what I'm talking about right now. I have good news. If you choose to stand on the side of the line that's unpopular and will get you ridiculed and hated, if you choose to stand on the side of the truth, I have good news that we can find in Psalm 133. The whole chapter, three verses, that's it. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Where has God commanded the blessing? It doesn't just say that God will bless. It says God commanded the blessing to those that are walking in unity. In unity, God commands the blessing. It talks about some, some physical uh, locations here, the Mount Hermon. It's not saying that at Mount Hermon because it says it is like the dew of Mount Hermon. What's so special about that mountain? Please correct me if I get this wrong because I did some research and I hope I don't mess it up. Mount Hermon is a mountain that is on the border of Israel. It's the only mountain in the entire region that is capped with snow. 
they don't really deal with snow too much in that region. So that's significant. It's a mountain that's on the border of Israel protecting God's people. It's a, it's a fortress. It is something that it protects the country, that shows the boundaries and the lines that God has established for Israel. And it says that it is like the dew from Mount Hermon. In that time, the dew of Mount Hermon was thought, they believed that it was a sacred thing, that it was a holy thing. It's not saying that at Mount Hermon, it's saying that when you're in unity, God will command his blessing to those people and it will be like the anointing oil that flowed over Aaron. It will be like the dew of Mount Hermon that was used in ceremonial and precious ways. It's all pointing back to how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. When they draw a line in the sand and say, this is where we lock arms and stand firm. This is where we draw the line. It's in unity that we see that. It's in unity that we see the power, that we see the blessing commanded from God. It's going to be kind of difficult to be in unity if we're not all on the same side of the line. And it's not one of those lines, it's not a squiggly line either where, where I get to be super close to this sin and then, and then over here, but the, and then this group of people at church, yeah, oh yeah, I don't like that at all, but in my personal time when I'm by myself and then one's looking, I'm going to inch a little bit closer and kind of, I'm going to fudge the line a little bit and just kind of scoot it up and I'm kind of fix the sand here and redraw the line a little bit. No. It's called a plumb line for a reason. It's straight. It doesn't have any bends in it. It doesn't have any curves in it. It's a straight line. It's the word of God. It's the line between the world and the kingdom. Is anybody else here this morning willing to be humble and, and confess that they have compromised in their walk with Christ? That they've been complacent in their walk with Christ? That may be you right now. And I want you to know there's no shame and there's no condemnation if that's where you find yourself right now. If you've been struggling to be steadfast in your walk with Christ, if you've been struggling to stand firm on his word, if you've been struggling to be bold enough to proclaim his word in public or to those that are closely around you, there's no shame, there's no condemnation. We know that from the word. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But it's time to change. It's time to stop compromising, draw the line, and stand firm. Now, a few weeks ago, I had a similar ending to a message. And ladies, if you want to come on up, you can. I, I invited everybody up. I'm not going to do that today. Because I don't want us to, to get to a place, which you're more than welcome to come. Don't say that I'm saying that. I don't want us to get to a place where the only way that we can find freedom and breakthrough in our lives is if the pastor invites us up to the front. Well, uh, man, I can't wait for Sunday because I really want, I got this struggle and I want to break through. You can break through in your home, at your job, wherever you want. Jesus isn't exclusive to this building. He doesn't only dwell in structures that say church on the outside. He dwells within us. His spirit is in us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. That he that is in the world, that goes for me physically and that goes for every other he that is in the world. Every principality and darkness and spirit that I will come against, he that is in me is greater than that principality that is in the world. 
We can have freedom. We can have breakthrough. We can have victory in our lives no matter where we're at. So I don't want people to think that the only way to experience that is to come up while we sing a really cool song. I would love for everyone to come up to the front as we sing this last song. That's, that, I'm not saying don't. But don't rely on this to get you where you need to go. Rely on this to get you where you need to go. Rely on this to lead us and guide us, to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. This is the line in the sand. This is the plumb line. This is the guide. This is the blueprint. This is the spec book. This is the basic instructions before leaving earth. This is where we base truth. Truth is not subjective to how I feel. It is objective to the character of God. This is the line in the sand. And Jesus wrote it. He spoke it. He became it in flesh. He has always existed as the word. And the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. John 1.1. 1, 1. This is the line. This is the motivation. This is the encouragement. You don't feel like it, open it and I promise you'll feel like it. You're unsure, read it. I promise you will have assurance. You're anxious, read it. I promise you'll have peace. Fearful, read it. I promise you will have courage. Every single line that we cross, there is an opposite line here that we can follow. There is nothing we face in this life that God did not prepare us for in his word. But we will not be prepared if we don't know it, if we don't read it, if we don't honor it and study it, if we just set it down and walk right past it every day. That's the line in the sand. That is our guide. That is our roadmap. So, when you hear me say, I don't care what you're going through, it's not that I don't care what you're going through. It's that when you compare it to what Christ went through, it's nothing. When you compare it to what Christ did for us, it is a mere speed bump to step over. So when I say that I don't care what you're going through, that Christ is here and he will meet your needs and he will have, he has exactly what you need. Not what you want, but what you need. Don't take that offensively. We've understood that when we, we take things offensively whenever it's true. But all of our problems, everything we struggle with, was nailed to that cross with him. And he died and went to hell and took the keys. He conquered sin, death, and the grave and rose in victory and now sits at the right hand of the Father so that we can have victory, that we can have power in our lives, that we can have freedom that I talked about at the very beginning of church this morning. If you need that, don't leave here today without it. Whether you just grab somebody, whether you come forward, whatever it is, whatever you need from the Lord, it is here. Don't leave without it. 
Don't leave stuck in the same rut and just thinking, well, okay, now that I heard that message and I believe it, it's just going to go away. Draw the line, stand firm, and trust God. Father, I thank you for this morning and this, this house. Lord, these people here this morning, Father, we thank you for your word that is alive and active. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would hold us all accountable as we leave this place and go about our weeks and our months and our years and the entirety of our lives. That you would hold us accountable to toe the line and stand firm on truth. Lord, we know that we are in a season that is a time for war and we know that you have called us to action and right now we draw the line of the stand. We tow the battle lines and we declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. We declare that we have victory and we will follow you wherever you say to go, we will go. Be with us as we leave this place, Lord. Don't let anyone leave carrying the same burdens that they brought in. Lord, I just I ask that you would make it physically and emotionally impossible to leave here with the same burdens. That the pulling from the Holy Spirit would be so strong that if they have something they need to lay at the foot of the cross, they wouldn't leave until they do. Lord, we love you and we thank you for everything that you do and everything that you are. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.